0: Bible, turn to John chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, how many of you have ever had a vision test before? Everybody, almost? And now I'm not talking about some of you who are a little bit older. Uh, you'll probably remember literally the, the the thing on the wall and then you cover your eye with one eye with a spoon. And then you try and say the letters on the, not that kind of vision test, right? I'm talking about when they put the gigantic thing on your face, right? And then the, the eye doctor gets really close to you, right? And it's uncomfortable how close they are. Um, but, but then they put a, 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 an image up and then they put little things in front of your eyes, right? And they, they usually say, which one is clearer, number one or number two? And then you say, number two, and which one is clearer, number two or number three? And th- the point of that exercise, of that test, is that the image that you're looking at is supposed to get clearer and clearer and clearer as he goes through this kind of test, a- and then he knows w- what your eye problems are, if there are any. I remember having anxiety as a kid, because I'm like, what if I say the wrong thing, and then I end up with glasses accidentally, so I would just you right what's better number one or number two i'm like they look the same i don't know right so but the whole purpose of it was that your vision becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and then finally they go okay there we go now we know what your prescription needs to be or maybe you don't need one at all that's kind of our text this morning the idea of something becoming clearer and clearer and clearer in john chapter 9 we're going to see jesus literally heal a, a man who was blind from birth so he, he, this man literally has his vision back physically but the underlying theme of the text is that as jesus teaches and does things and and, and performs miracles some people's vision of him gets clearer and clearer and clearer right their spiritual eyes are opened And some people's vision of Jesus becomes cloudier and cloudier and cloudier until they eventually become blind towards him. So in chapter 8, we just had a text that talked about fake believers. right? People that said, we believe in you, Jesus, and yet when they were confronted with the truth, they end up hating Jesus. And now it's like the mirror opposite. We get a text, a, a story of genuine faith. A blind man who at the end of our passage is gonna believe and worship Jesus so it's like remember in John eight twelve, Jesus began that kind of whole discourse by saying I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness he kind of said that truth and now in chapter 9 it's as if Jesus is saying okay let me physically illustrate this for you I'm the light of the world you don't have to walk in darkness now I'm gonna heal a blind man And it's like this living parable. Let me show you what I mean. So let's just kind of work through the passage um, starting in verse 1. And there's these five different movements that happen in this passage. So it says this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Salome, which means sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. So here's the miracle, right? These first seven verses, and this is kind of the setup, right? We've seen this before. Jesus heals a paralyzed man, and the whole point is that it's a setup for what follows, right? And the whole argument and discussion about the authority that Jesus has, same here. Jesus uh, heals a man born blind, and we're going to see this is kind of a setup for a further discussion but verse 2 is disciples ask right they're walking by they see a man blind from birth and his disciples ask a a pretty good question it's a culturally relevant question they say rabbi who sinned was it this guy or his parents that he was born blind so we have to understand there was an assumption in ancient jewish thought that suffering disease pain suffering sickness could always be traced to sin and so the reason that that was the assumption in the worldview is that there was a concern among the jewish people that we don't want to have to charge god with perpetrating evil on supposedly innocent people right so we could never say well this man's blind because god made him blind they would go whoa 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 that reflects bad on god's character so suffering and or suffering and disease and sickness in their world always related to sin because God is always just the thought was human sinfulness must always lie at the root of all human misfortune and so that's the the background behind his disciples question the thought was either the baby sinned in the womb or the mother of the baby had participated in some kind of evil while pregnant, and so the baby's there with her, right? I'm not making this up, like if the mother who was pregnant went to a pagan temple and worshiped, the baby was sinful just by proxy. He was there with her in the the womb, and so therefore, ah, that explains why he's blind. It must be some kind of sin of the baby or the mother. And I love that Jesus corrects their terrible theology. He says in verse three it's not that this guy sinned or his parents jesus says it's neither of the ones that you think but that the work of god might be displayed in him so jesus is saying sometimes in god's mysterious and wise providence he allows or causes his children to go through hardship or suffering so we just this is not the point of the message but we have to go on a slight rabbit trail here because there is a line of thinking In Modern Christianity that believes the same wrong assumptions about suffering and sickness Some Christians believe today that all sickness and suffering is either Satan doing it or it's simply caused by your own sin all you've got a cancer diagnosis There must be some type of sin in your life that is causing that God would never give you cancer right so So I'll give you a few examples. My mom, for probably close to, oh man, at least a dozen years, maybe 15 years, has suffered terribly. Uh, She has an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's disease, but then she has all sorts of other medical problems. And I remember in early on when my mom was dealing with all of this pain and suffering, Christians came up to her and said, Barb, there must be some kind of sin in your life. All sickness is caused by sin. You must have some type of unrepentant sin. If you would just confess your sin, God would heal you. Right? I even know of a family that um, lost a baby a few days after um, the baby was born. And and so dealing with that kind of mourning and suffering and and tragedy. And a, a Christian came up to them and said, well, it must be that you sinned. It must be. God took your child because you sinned against him. So we could say, are sin and suffering connected? Sure. We're simply working out the effects from the fall. Since Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, it ushered in sickness, disease, suffering, and pain. Blindness and paralysis were not a part of God's original creation and design. Of course not. Not. So when you say, you know, is sin responsible for suffering? Sure, if you want to go all the way back. But once theologians and pastors and faith healers move from generalizing statements about the origin of human sickness and suffering to very tight connections between the sins of and the sufferings of an individual, you've gone beyond what the Bible says. There's nothing in the Bible... That says all sickness is caused by your sin. I'll give you a few examples. Read the entire book of Job. The whole point of the book of Job is God gives permission for Satan to do terrible things to Job. His children die, all of his crops die, his, Like his, all of his animals are stolen, he himself has boils, he's sitting and he's suffering in dust and ashes and the whole point of Job is his friends come and say, well, Job, you must have done something. And the whole book of Job is, Job did nothing to deserve it. And we're never given an answer why God does it. God just says, are you God? And Job goes, you're right, I repent, I'm sorry. Or even Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that God gave him a thorn in his flesh, which the majority of scholars say some type of physical sickness. God gave it to him to keep him humble. And Paul asked three times, please, God, take this away. And what was God's answer? Not, well, well, Paul, if you just confessed your sin, then you wouldn't be sick. Paul asked him three times, God, please take this away. And what was God's answer? No. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not taking this disease away, Paul. So the conclusion that we can come away with is that suffering is not always a direct result of a person's sin. Sometimes God wants to display his works in them. Sometimes God wants to sanctify you and will allow you to suffer. And we as Christians, we we have no obligation to try and defend God's character by making up silly theologies that aren't from the Bible. Right? So, God, so Jesus says it has nothing to do with sin. Why was this man born blind? It's not sin. It's so that my works might be displayed in him. And then Jesus says time is short, meaning uh, in verse 4 and 5, Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified soon. And so he says we have to do the works that God has given us. Time is short. And so this is what he does. And I love it, right? He spits on the ground, and he makes mud with the spit and the clay, and then he puts it in the guy's eyes, and then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the, and the blind man does, and then he comes back, and he can see. And now there's much debate and wondering, why mud? What is the significance of mud? Why didn't Jesus just heal him? Why didn't he just say, eyes open? He could have done that. And, and bottom line is, we're just not told why Jesus rubbed mud in his eyes. Maybe it's an echo to Genesis 2, some scholars think, where God makes man out of the dust of the ground. Potentially, maybe. Now, here's what's amazing. This event in the physical world is actually a sign that Jesus is doing to point to a much deeper spiritual meaning. And so what we're gonna see in the rest of our text is five conversations unfold. And and each of these conversations, there's there's this progression Right, It's as if the blind man now is in an eye exam, and his vision of Jesus is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. And we're going to see Pharisees and maybe his parents or some of his neighbors. It's like their vision of Jesus is becoming cloudier and cloudier and cloudier. And And so the whole point is, who is actually the blind people in this passage? It's not the blind man. It's the Pharisees who are blind. So, first conversation, starting in verse 8. It says this, the neighbors... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So the first conversation we have is between the neighbors of this former blind man. Right, And so what, th- what they're talking about is they see a guy that they kn- knew from birth, most likely, who was blind. And they're starting to go, "Well, wait, wait a second. Isn't that the guy who used to sit and beg? And some are saying, well, yeah, that's him. And others are saying, no, maybe it's like a doppelganger. It's just somebody that looks like him. That can't be him. And the blind guy, I love it. He's like, it's me, guys. I don't know how to tell you this. And then they ask, well, how were your eyes open? And he answers them. He gives a pretty good, detailed Account, he says, a man called Jesus. Isn't that great? Remember that, because we're going to see the man, the blind man's uh, vision of Jesus becomes clearer and clearer. But right away, he just goes, "Well, some guy named Jesus made mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash, and now I'm seeing." And they ask, "Well, where is he then?" And the the former blind man says, "I don't know." And so it's like the people want to know the story. They're clearly shocked. Someone born blind receiving their sight had never happened before. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. This is the first time a blind man who was born blind has received sight. And so they are shocked. And they want the details. They're going like, give us what happened. But it's not enough, right? They're going, okay, something's not lining up. So lead to the second conversation, verse thir- 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And here's a really good detail, verse 14. Now it was the Sabbath. Do you remember that from before? Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Notice, who healed you? Some guy named Jesus. Well, what do you say about him? Well, he's a prophet, right? My vision is getting a little bit clearer now about who Jesus is. So verse 14, this is really key. We're told that it was the Sabbath. So if you remember when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, John tells us, it was a Sabbath that this happened. So Jesus, again, I love it, right? He's purposefully doing this. Right? Jesus is fully in control of what's happening. He's he's purposefully doing this to stir up controversy. And the Pharisees say, Well, this guy clearly can't be from God because he's a sinner. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. So let me just refresh, there were were so many Sabbath rules that the Pharisees had instituted. Healing on a Sabbath was forbidden unless it was a life or death situation, and and clearly a man being born blind, it's not life or death, right? The Pharisees, I know that they would say, couldn't you have just waited one day to heal him? It's not life or death. He's been blind his whole life. Um, needing was also forbidden. So like kneading dough, right? If you can think about making bread, kneading dough, that was included in the 39 classes of work forbidden on the Sabbath. So Jesus making mud from clay and spit would most likely have been seen as, look, you're kneading the mud together to put it on his eyes. So now you've broken the Sabbath twice. You've healed on the Sabbath. You've kneaded on the Sabbath. And then there was some debate, but some groups of religious leaders thought that anointing eyes was forbidden on the sabbath so depending on who you ask jesus broke their sabbath three times (laughs) and so the line of thinking is well surely he can't be from god he's he's breaking all the rules but i love that some of them said well wait a second how if he's a sinner how could he be doing signs like this and so that leads to division among the pharisees and so they asked the blind man well what do you say about him and i love it he says he's a prophet so notice, again, we've gone from some guy named Jesus to he's a prophet. Third conversation, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? Who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, will he speak for himself? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him so isn't this amazing right the neighbors come no this couldn't have happened let's take him to the Pharisees the Pharisees interview the blind man and they go this couldn't have happened bring his parents in and so now we have the blind man's parents being involved in this conversation and here's why I believe the Pharisees cannot admit that Jesus has performed this amazing miracle Because there has to be some kind of other explanation. It can't be that Jesus actually did this. And so they they bring the parents in and they ask, is this your son who you say was born blind, how can he see? And the parents confirm, this is our boy, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind, and I love this. We have no idea how he can see. Why don't you ask him? Isn't that great? Talk about passing the buck. Parents, how, how did this happen? I don't know. Why don't you ask him? He's of age. So being of age meant at least 13. So we're not told how old this man was. I think he was actually much older. But being of age, you were officially of age in Jewish culture when you were 13. So we know that this guy is at least 13. And so the parents say, why don't you ask him? He's, he's of age, just let him speak for himself. Now we're told why they said this, and this is amazing. They feared the religious leaders because it had already been said, if anyone is caught confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, you're put out of the synagogue. So we're talking about excommunication here. Uh, And excommunication was very serious for a Jew. It meant that it was a loss of the means of your livelihood, but as well as you were kicked out of all the privileges of being a part of a synagogue. And so, historically, you could be kicked out for a short amount of times, 30 days for different offenses, right? But then for very serious offenses, it was a total ban. Like, if you were caught blaspheming God, you were excommunicated, not just for 30 days, for a, a lifetime, and so that's why the parents answered the, the way they do right they're like let him decide we don't he's of age and di- they they answered out of fear we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue all right the fourth conversation the blind man comes back verse 24 so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him give glory to god we know that this man is a sinner He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Isn't that just so, oh, I love this blind man. It's so good. He's like sassy. I love it. But this says this, verse 28, and they reviled him saying you are his disciple but we are disciples of Moses we know that God has spoken to Moses but as for this man we do not know where he comes from the man answered why this is an amazing thing you do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes we know that God does not listen to sinners but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will God listens to him Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So, I mean, talk about, I think the blind man is kind of gaining a little bit of courage here, right? And so they call him back. We've talked to the parents, no help. Come on back in, and they say to him, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. Now, we read that, and what the Pharisees aren't saying, hey, let's all praise God for this miracle. It's a common phrase that people would use in that culture, basically meaning, own up, tell me the truth. Right, so, so in our day and age, right, if I'm standing in front of my kids and one of them broke the vase, I would say to them, give glory to God who did this. Basically, tell the truth, own up to it, guys. And they say, so basically, tell the truth, we know that Jesus is a sinner. So it's a very matter-of-fact statement that the religious leaders just made. They're looking at Jesus, the Messiah, and they're saying, for a fact, we know that he is a sinner. So what, what, are, you, what are you seeing, the Pharisees, what's happening to their vision? Right? Before, if you read as John progressed, it's kind of like, We're muttering about him, what could he doing, there's division about him, but now their vision is becoming cloudier and cloudier and they say, we know that Jesus is a sinner. It's a fact. Verse 25, the guy answers, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I was blind and now I see. So what he's saying is, I don't know everything about this Jesus and his background and who he is, but this is what happened. I was blind and now I see. And so they ask again, tell us again. How did he do it? And I love that he says, I already told you, right? And why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? It's just so great, right? That he is just kind of like digging at them. And how do they answer, right? They revile him. And that word reviled in the original language means that they verbally assaulted him. So I don't know what, what words were thrown at him, but they abused him. They insulted him. They verbally assaulted him and they said we're disciples of moses sounds a lot like the crowds right we're offspring of abraham jesus we're disciples of moses we know that god spoke to moses but we have no idea where this guy jesus comes from and the blind the former blind man's response is amazing he says this is an amazing thing literally thamastos means this is wonderful this is marvelous he says this is an awe invoking sight he's making fun of them he says why this is an amazing thing right you don't know where he comes from And yet he opened my eyes. So right now he's lecturing the religious leaders. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is uh, 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 righteous and and is a follower and a worshiper of God, he'll do his will. And he goes, you guys don't even know where he comes from? This is amazing. He's like lecturing the religious leaders. He said, God doesn't listen to sinners. And we know from a few... uh, Psalms in the the Bible that that's uh, you could see where you land in that conclusion Psalm 34:15 The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry God listens to the righteous Psalm 68 66:18 If I had cherished iniquity in my heart the Lord would not have listened so now that doesn't mean that like God, you know, blah, la la blah, 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 anytime someone prays to him, that's not what they're talking about. But by and large, those who love God and are righteous, God listens to them. Think of James 5, the prayer of what? Of a righteous man has great power. And then he says in verse 32, never since the world began was a person born blind. Uh, was a person born blind to be healed. Never since, this is the first instance in the history of humanity that a man born blind was healed and as you dig into it you will realize that that is 100 true nowhere in the old testament nowhere in all jewish writings is there ever a recorded case of a person born blind receiving their sight this is the first time which is why i think everyone is losing their minds a little bit because this has never happened before and so their response then to this man is, you were born in utter sin. That's their judgment call. Remember the disciples? Who sinned? This man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither of them. This is the, the Pharisees' judgment call. You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? So pride, right? Who are you? Some beggar blind man to teach us, the religious leaders. And so they cast him out, meaning they excommunicated him. Why? Why was he excommunicated? He was excommunicated because he, a man born blind, had been given sight on the Sabbath, and he wouldn't speak evil of the one who healed him. And so they said, you are now excommunicated. Here's the final conversation. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, You would have no guilt, but now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So Jesus enters the picture again. We haven't seen him since verse seven, right? He heals the man and then he just kind of disappears from the narrative. And we have all of these conversations and controversy. And then Jesus shows up at the end. And I want you to to remember the blind man who can now see has actually never seen Jesus, he heard Jesus. But he went and washed, and, and we're, to, we're not told that he came back to Jesus. This is the first time the blind man is seeing Jesus with his eyes. And I love that Jesus hears that, that the Pharisees had cast him out, and he goes and he finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I love that the, blind, the former blind guy is honest. He says, well, who is he that I can believe in him? And Jesus answers, Just like like only he can, and so similar to the woman at the well, he says, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Right? So Jesus says, it's me. I am the son of man. And the blind man answers, Lord, I believe And he worships him. And that word worship implies a visible act of respect that signals allegiance. Meaning the blind man most likely fell prostrate before Jesus in this physical act of worship. Also, notice that Jesus doesn't stop him. Doesn't go, whoa, 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 don't worship me. Right? Another sign that Jesus is God because he accepts this former blind man's worship. So the blind man's vision is clear. He becomes a believer, right? He worships Jesus. He's now placed his faith in Jesus. His vision of Jesus is clear. We've gone from, well, who healed you? Some guy named Jesus. Well, who is he? Uh, A prophet to, well, do you wanna know the Son of Man? Well, who is he? I don't know who he is, to falling on his face before Jesus and worshiping him. Like his vision got clearer and clearer and clearer. And notice at the end, the Pharisees' response, who overhear, they're now blind. And they ask Jesus, are we blind? And Jesus says, right, for judgment I came into the world, verse 39, meaning as Jesus teaches and preaches naturally, people are divided over him. He says that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. And what Jesus is doing, he's referencing Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So Jesus is saying, I've come to open the eyes of people who are spiritually blind. And those people who are spiritually blind, they're the ones that know it they know they're blind they know that they need someone to help them see so i came to give vision to those types of people and he says for those who think they see who think i have no need for jesus those people are going to become blind and is that not what we're seeing in our text The blind man's vision becomes clearer and clearer he sees jesus and the pharisees vision they get angrier they revile they excommunicate excommunicate someone and then they ask jesus what are we blind so they become blind exactly what jesus is saying and so in verse 41 jesus ends by saying if you were blind you would have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains what does that mean Now, the word sin or guilt often used in John is understood as unbelief. So it could be translated, if you were blind, you would not have unbelief. But now that you say you see, your unbelief remains. So what Jesus is saying is if these Pharisees had no knowledge of the truth, no revelation, no Old Testament, no prophets, no law, no scriptures, no miracles, well then, sure, you would be less guilty because you have no revelation about the truth but now the son of God is standing in front of you and you still think you aren't blind you're going what are we blind Jesus like you think that you see the Pharisees have made so many confident pronouncements in this passage but they are profoundly wrong and they're convinced that they see and so they reject any suggestion to the contrary and Jesus is saying, there, therefore, you've actually confirmed your own blindness by thinking that you're not blind. So obviously, there's a deeper meaning to this story, and blindness in the Bible is often used metaphorically to represent the human condition, right? So let me give you a few examples. Isaiah 43:8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears jeremiah 5 21 very similar hear this O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not who have ears but hear not so all throughout i mean that's just two examples but all throughout the bible people are described like the human condition is described as being in spiritual darkness you have eyes but you don't see you have ears but you actually don't hear and, and, and all along in the Old Testament, there is passage after passage after passage about a longing and a need for someone to come and shine the light on people so that they can see. And the Messiah was promised as someone who would come and open blind eyes. Isaiah 29, 18. In that day, the Messiah's day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 35, 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped. Uh, Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for all the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. And so there were all of these promises of the Messiah, the Christ jesus who was going to come and like john says he's the light of the world you you, humanity is dwelling in darkness you can't see you're blind and jesus is coming and one of the clear signs of the messiah was that blind people would receive their sight and so much deeper than that is that the messiah came to shine the light of salvation on the spiritually blind so this chapter portrays what happens when the light shines someone is made to see and others who think that they can see turn away so listen this is what's fascinating it's the same message there is one gospel and yet there are two very different responses to that gospel Um, charles spurgeon said this the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay And the same gospel, which melts some persons to repentance, hardens others in their sins. So the preaching of the gospel, it's one gospel, and yet it has two very different effects. Those who admit that they cannot see, when they hear the gospel, they're given their sight. And those who insist, nope, I can see clearly. I can see perfectly. They're just hardened and they're confirmed in their blindness. So the blind man is an example of one response to the gospel. He uh, progressively sees more and more and more. His vision becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, leading to the point where he actually worships Jesus and calls him Lord. And the Pharisees get more and more and more and more blind as they say, no, Jesus is a sinner. We know he's a sinner. He's not from God. And then at the end, they actually ask Jesus, what, are we blind? Confirming that very fact. Even Jesus calls the Pharisees blind guides in Matthew 23. So what kind of people are those who hear the gospel and respond? And yes, I know that we weigh in the fact that it's the spirit of God that draws people. But what kind of people are those, right, when they hear the gospel, they respond in, Man, that's me. I am blind. I am a slave to sin. I need Jesus. You need poverty of spirit, you need a lowering of your pride especially over religious opinions and you actually need an acknowledgement of your blindness to receive spiritual sight someone who receives the gospel is someone who knows that they're blind someone who says yeah I am a wretch I am poor in spirit I've got nothing I can't do this that's when their spiritual eyes are opened Now, someone who's prideful and gets offended by being called a slave to sin, someone who maybe wants to bargain with God or or, or things like that, that just shows that they're becoming more and more and more blind. Someone who says, really? You think I'm a sinner? Do you know the charities that I give to? Do you know how good of a neighbor I am? You're saying that unless I believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell? I haven't done that much bad stuff that's just confirming their blindness even Proverbs 26 12 says do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes there's more hope for a fool than for him someone who's wise and religious in their own eyes and they go I'm not blind Proverbs says there's more hope for an idiot than for someone like him I mean we see that in our day our day and age all the time don't we I remember being a youth pastor And on different youth nights and events, I would preach uh, the gospel, a clear kind of gospel. This is what Jesus came to do. And if you believe in him, right, you're, you're given eternal life. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I would get both responses from the same message. A teen would go, I've never heard this before. Man, I have so much sin in my life. I need Jesus. And then I'd get a teen who would go, how dare you call me a sinner? You don't even know me. Right, the same gospel, softening one heart and hardening the other. And you probably know people like that. I think it's especially hard in North America because we have this idea that, well, I'm a pretty good person. And to to, to tell a, quote, pretty good person, unless you confess that Jesus is Lord, you're going to hell. They go, how dare you talk to me like that? And yet you'll say the same thing to someone else and they go, you're right, Jesus is Lord. It's the same gospel. And listen, this is what faith actually is. Faith is you having a clearer and clearer picture of Jesus. Faith, I've said this before, faith is not a muscle that you flex. Faith is a lens that you see through. And I think this is taught wrongly in a lot of North American churches. It's like we gotta exercise and show more faith, usually so that we can get stuff from God, right? We gotta work out our faith muscles. That's not what faith is. Faith is the lens of which you see the whole world through. And as you grow in your faith, your lens becomes clearer and clearer, and you see Jesus for who he is. So the same gospel hardens some And it softens others. And I want you to notice, this is the result of choosing to follow Jesus. The blind man is cast out. He's not living his best life now. He's cast out. He's excommunicated. Sometimes the result of choosing to follow Jesus is that you will be cast out. Verse 34, the religious leaders verbally assaulted him. Insulted him. And said, you, you're just, you were born in utter sin and cast him out. Now, I know many of you, and I know that some of you, that's your story. Whether you, you grew up in some of the old colony around here, and I've talked to a handful of you that you decided to follow Jesus, and you were literally cast out. But look at what happens. They cast him out in verse 35. Jesus hears that he's been cast out. And what does he do? He tracks him down and he finds him. So think about that. The religious leaders are so angry that they cast him out. But what did Jesus say in John 6, 37? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So listen, following Jesus, it might cost you, not might, it will cost you. It might cost you family relationships, friendships even. You might be cast out of certain areas of life. But one thing I know for sure, Jesus will never cast you out. And he'll he'll come and he'll find you. Right, even Psalm 2710, it says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So I want to encourage you, it is always worth it to follow Jesus. And, 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 And even when we're cast out of our jobs or our families or our friends, whatever it is, Jesus will never cast you out, ever. And it is so worth following him. And then my encouragement to you is if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, faith in Jesus, it's not like you follow Jesus and now you have 100% faith and you'll always trust in Jesus. Your faith grows as you watch Jesus, or as you walk with Jesus, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. As you study the Word, as you, as you obey Jesus, your, your picture of Him becomes clearer and. Clearer. That's your faith growing. And then there might be some of you here that, that aren't followers of Jesus yet, and it's amazing that you're here, and I think one of the reasons that you're here is perhaps God is drawing you, but when you hear the gospel, you have two choices it softens you and you go yes that is me I need Jesus or it hardens you and you might be sitting here going I can't believe that Andrew says that I'm a sinner or whatever it is right and so my prayer is that you will respond to the gospel and that you will see Jesus for who he is so I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up Um, we wanna just sing in response And then our time will be closed, but I'll just pray. Father, I thank you that you are the one who gives us sight. Um, Jesus, it's amazing that you literally physically healed this man who had been born blind the first time in the history of humanity. To heal a man born blind. But Jesus, it goes so much deeper than that. You came to give spiritual sight to people. You came to open blind eyes. Those who just sit in spiritual darkness, you came to open their eyes and set them free. Jesus, you really are the light of the world. And so I pray even now, as the gospel has been proclaimed, there's one of two responses that every person in this room will have. Either our hearts will be softened towards you, Jesus, and we will go, yes, that is me. I'm so glad that Jesus saved me. Yes, I am. I was blind and now I see. Thank you, Jesus. Or the other response is to be just offended and prideful go, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good enough person. I can do it. Do you know the things that I do? Do you know how much I give? Do you know how much I volunteer? And and, and what that shows is that we're just becoming more and more and more blind. So Jesus, we, we ask that you would open blind eyes today. And for those who have decided to follow you and maybe are feeling cast out, like this blind man, whether it's their family has turned their back on them, whether it's friends, whether it's their work or at school or whatever it is, God, I thank you. Jesus, you promised that you would never cast us out. And even though other people might forsake us, you never will. And so thank you, Jesus, that you walk with us. You are such a good shepherd who comes and finds us and comforts us and supports us and you will never cast us out and so because of that we worship you jesus so just do your work holy spirit in our hearts and we just pray all of this in your name amen would you stand as we sing